0: Stories from around the corner. And around the country. You're listening to All The Best.
1: Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales.
2: Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognise that the area where FBI radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart, and you're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. If you asked me what I had for dinner last Tuesday night, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I could, however, tell you about the time I fell over so hard in the primary school playground that I grazed both elbows and both knees. I was holding my friend's hand, we were running, but I couldn't run as fast because my legs were shorter, and then down I went. The playground incident happened when I was in kindy, almost 20 years ago, but I remember it vividly. I remember the pain, the teacher picking bits of asphalt out of my grazers, and my rage at my friend for running too fast. But the thing is, most of the details I remember probably don't accurately reflect what happened or could even be totally wrong. I'm sure the teacher on playground duty and my friend would have different accounts. That is if they remember it at all, which let's be honest, they probably don't. Because while that lunchtime was a defining moment in my life, it wasn't very important for anyone else. Our brain is wired to remember these things that are important to us, but not other stuff. And even when it comes to what we can remember, we can be pretty unreliable narrators this week we're bringing you stories of distorted memories, both accidental and intentional. First up, Amy explores how false memories can occur
0: on a mass scale. What if you couldn't trust your memories to be true? Well, it happens and more than you might think. Phenomena such as the Mandela effect and déjà vu have had people puzzled for decades. And whilst multiple different theories on how and why humans can experience these false memories have been established, one that has been consistently revisited is the theory of alternate or parallel universes. Now, there's a lot to cover here, so let's backtrack a little. What actually is the Mandela Effect?
3: Hey, I've just seen online that next year is the 10-year anniversary of Nelson Mandela's death. I swear it's been longer than that.
0: What do you mean? He died in prison in the 80s.
3: Wait, you're right. I swear I watched the footage of his funeral back in the 80s. I remember his wife's eulogy and everything. It was so sad. Hang on. This site says he went on to be president of South Africa in the 90s. How did we both think he was dead all that time?
0: There's no way he didn't die in prison. How do I remember this so vividly? Yep, the Mandela Effect is quite true to its name, as it was coined by paranormal researcher Fiona Broom in 2010, when she discovered that Nelson Mandela was actually alive and well, despite Broom and thousands of others that she spoke to online vividly remembering watching his funeral on TV after he had supposedly died in prison in the 80s. Since then, it has been the term used whenever a collective group of people misremember an occurrence in the exact same way. Let's take a look at some more recent examples of the Mandela Effect which continue to shock people when it's brought to their attention.
4: Magic mirror on the wall, who is
0: the fairest one of all? Wait, 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 run that back. Magic mirror on the wall. Magic mirror? Why have we all been saying mirror mirror our whole lives? What about the Monopoly Man? Arguably one of the most distinct characters in today's society. Why are so many people, myself included, convinced he had a monocle over his left eye when he has never had one? Or the fact that the infamous quote, Luke, I am your father, from Star Wars was never actually said by Darth Vader? Oh, also, remember Curious George? Yeah, he never had a tail. As we recover from questioning everything we thought we ever knew and the rest of you continue furiously googling if those Mandela effects were true or not, let's talk about Deja Vu. I'm sure we've all experienced Deja Vu at some point in our lives, but essentially it is defined as feeling something similar, as if we have encountered a specific moment in the past, but we generally can't remember when and where we have experienced it. So yes, while they have their differences, both of these phenomena interrelate when it comes to humans having false memories. Now, where does the concept of an alternate universe fit into all of this? Well, for many years, string theory has predicted more than one universe exists, that our universe is just one floating among the bubble of other infinite universes. This is when I need you guys to remember that I am not a scientist, so bear with me as I take on the space-time continuum and all of its complexities. Let's just imagine that the cause of these unexplainable phenomena, such as the Mandela Effect or Deja Vu, are in fact caused by us interacting with an alternate universe. What would this actually look like? A parallel or alternate universe can be quite hard for us to wrap our head around, so think of it like this. Imagine a radio. You can only listen to one frequency at one time, because they operate at different wavelengths and levels. Proponents of this theory believe parallel universes may work the same way. Vibrating at different frequencies, these universes could be all around us, but we don't notice them. However, it is possible that for a certain moment, two frequencies could be in phase, allowing for universes to interact for a short amount of time. So with this theory in mind, when we experience Deja Vu or the Mandela Effect, it could potentially be our universe lining up with another, where we may have experienced this moment already. Some enthusiasts call evidence of these effects residue, They believe the timelines of the parallel world, or creation of more than one timeline, is merely leaking into our world. So not as if to say that these moments are currently happening at the exact same time, more as if there was a timeline that has since been erased and we're only able to see the residual hints of what once was. I know what you're thinking. What is the chance all of this could actually be the cause? The annoying part? There still isn't really enough proof to know the answer, for why humans experience false memories for sure. Although the original mathematic foundation of string theory works, which is what alternate universes are based off, the theory itself remains unproven and highly controversial. It could be said that the majority of Mandela effects are attributable to memory errors and social misinformation. The fact that a lot of the inaccuracies are trivial suggests they result from selective attention or faulty interference. Dr. John Paul Garrison, a clinical and forensic psychologist, says that human memory is imperfect and unfortunately the Mandela effect is likely secondary to our forward retention. So there you go. It could go either way. The fun part? We all get to keep making up our own mind on what we think is happening. Because either way, there's still no solid proof. The skeptics can believe it's just the fallibility of the brain and the theorists can keep coming up with their what ifs. In the end, does it really matter what the cause is? No matter which way you spin it, it's such a fascinating look into how our society and our world can affect our minds and our memory. All credit for music used in this episode goes to Epidemic Sound. Credit for sound effects goes to N YouTube channel, OMGFX YouTube channel, and YouTube sound effects channel. I'd like to give credit to the following websites for my research. Forbes, The Mandela Effect, Bad Memories or an Alternate Universe, published in 2017. Medical news today, what is The Mandela Effect, published in 2020. The Mandela Effect, Deja Vu and Possible Interactions with the Parallel World, paper written by Deep Badacharji. Medium.com, How Parallel Universes May Explain Deja Vu Written by Trevor Mahoney Published in 2019 Could Deja Vu and the Mandela Effect Prove the Alternate Dimensions Exist Written by Paul Ratner in Big Think Credit for voice actors go to Don Wright and Julie Wright I'm your host, Amy Wright Thank you for listening to this episode
2: That story was produced by Amy Wright. Roger Dawkins was the supervising producer. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart and you're listening to All The Best on FBI 94.5. We showcase emerging storytellers from around the country and are supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. All The Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, then you're in luck. We're holding a pitch workshop via Zoom on December 6th with Laura Murphy-Oates, host and executive producer of The Guardian's Full Story podcast. For event details, just search All The Best Radio on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Next up, Ruth investigates a family story and discovers a reality totally different to what she first thought.
4: Agatha, I did not know her at all. Later on I learnt and my brothers and sisters learned that we did have a live Aunt Agatha, whom we had never seen, but um, if she was confined uh, to a, we learned a mental institution. I know my mother used to visit her there.
5: At this point, we had the dreaded influenza epidemic. Some say it was the Black Plague. At any rate, people were very ill and dying like flies. We eventually all got the wretched thing, but we managed to survive. We were all ordered to wear cotton masks It was supposed to stop the spread of the disease. My sister Agatha refused to wear one and consequently got into trouble. Excerpt from a letter written by Margaret Harris to her granddaughter Catherine in 1983.
6: Agatha was my great aunt. She refused to wear a face mask during the Spanish influenza epidemic in 1919. And because of that, she was admitted to Callum Park Mental Hospital, where she stayed for the rest of her life. That story about great-aunt Agatha has been going around my family for years, told and retold. But lately, in the middle of another epidemic, with all of us wearing face masks, I've wondered if it's actually true. Who was Agatha? And whatever happened to her?
3: She was told to wear a mask. Everybody was told to wear masks. And she flatly refused and became very angry, upset, aggressive. And she was committed to, I presume, a lunatic asylum or something equivalent to it, whatever they had in those days. And there she spent the rest of her life.
6: That's my uncle Ian. In the early 1970s, he drove my grandmother twice to visit her sister Agatha. The first time they went, Ian waited in the car while my grandmother went inside. At the next visit, Ian asked if he could meet Agatha. He did, but by then she was elderly and no longer speaking.
3: No eye contact. She was lying in the bed and looking straight at the wall out the window. Didn't look at us.
6: At that time, my grandmother had been visiting Agatha for more than 50 years. But these visits had always been kept private, and she didn't speak about her sister to anybody, not even her own children.
4: The story always was, we're going to see an old friend. My mother would say, you know, we're going to see an old friend. But you didn't ask what old friend is it, or whatever. Probably be told, well, it's nothing to do with you.
6: <laughs> That's my mother, Mary. She knew her other aunts and uncles, still has photographs of many of them. But Agatha... Is nowhere to be seen. I wanted to know more about my great aunt. Where did she go? With the help of my sister's research skills, I set out to find Agatha. 1904 Tomorrow Evening News. Agatha Quinlan, 16 years old. Awarded First Class Pass College of Music Piano Fort Exams. 1913 Electoral Roll. Living in Matmans Point, Sydney. Occupation, tailoress. The only other references are in my grandmother's letter.
5: My sister Agatha refused to wear one and consequently got into trouble. She at that time had a boyfriend, a Scotsman who went to the war and was never heard of again. His troopship was probably torpedoed at any rate, she was never the same.
4: My interpretation of what I was told was that Agatha had a romantic interest in a young man who I believe was killed during World War One, And she was obviously upset about that. And the Spanish flu, which believed to have been brought back by soldiers returning home, People were required to wear masks, and she, for whatever reason, didn't want to do that. And that apparently was the start of the the problem.
6: My sister uncovers some government records. January 1920, Agatha is admitted to Darlinghurst Reception House. Patient was observed acting strangely in Hyde Park on two consecutive days jumping about yelling laughing acts eccentrically three days later and the notes say that agatha is lethargic and careless in dress quiet clean but aggressive in manner at times her mother says she has been eccentric for years said patient certified insane to be taken charge of and detained from here, Agatha is transferred to Callum Park Mental Hospital. But there's no mention anywhere in the notes about the influenza epidemic and a mandatory mask wearing had stopped six months earlier. So Agatha had come to the attention of authorities and she was sent to Callum Park, but it wasn't for refusing to wear a face mask. But the other question is, Why did my grandmother keep Agatha a secret from the rest of the family?
4: Well, I I think it was something, you know, one didn't admit to one's neighbours, you know, that you had uh, a problem like that. You sort of get a very confused picture of what mental illness or how it manifested in different people. Any mental or nervous illness was something one just didn't talk about. It's strange how there were certain subjects, you know, it happened, but you didn't talk about it.
1: I think we find it quite shocking now that people would keep secrets such as a mental health problem in the family, but it's actually quite common and it has been right up until our present. My name is Professor Catherine Colborn, and I'm a historian of mental illness and institutions in Australia and in New Zealand and I'm currently the Head of School of Humanities and Social Science at the University of Newcastle in Australia. I think there is a a shifting concept of mental health now, but going back into the 19th century and into the 20th century, there's been a lot of stigma attached to mental illness. Even institutions themselves tended to be built away from population centres and in countryside locations, people could experience solitude and and recover and have a, a very um, beautiful environment for hospitalisation but at the same time they were hidden from public view so there was no kind of awareness of, of those people, they were kind of out of sight. So we haven't been able to talk about mental health openly until those institutional days ended. Ian had his own theory
6: about why Agatha was kept hidden and a warning, Ian refers to potentially offensive language here but it is reflective of how mental illness was seen at the time of which he is speaking.
3: Why was she kept a secret from the family? Now, I grew up in a a small farming community and one of the things I remember from early in life was you never marry a girl where there is a lunatic or idiot in the family because you could pass it on Through heredity. So you kept them a secret so that nobody would know.
1: The language by the late 19th and early 20th century was starting to change, but in the early days, words like lunatic or idiot were in common usage. They were used almost as diagnostic terms, and they were also used in popular language or parlance in newspapers and so on. The language did change, however, and of course in our day we might talk about someone having lived experience of mental illness or living with mental illness rather than having it or being it. And I think that's where the language has really shifted away from the idea of an identity towards an experience. Uh, So I think we've, we've seen an array, and language is a really important feature of the history of psychiatry actually because it does tell you something about the time period that you're talking about.
6: The only language we have of Agatha is what was said about her. There's nothing of her own words or what she said or thought. Two years after her admission to Callum Park, there's a letter to the chief traffic manager, New South Wales Railways, requesting accommodation for six patients and two nurses on the 945 train to Goulburn. Agatha is one of the patients. And also there's another letter, addressed to the manager of Kenmore Hospital. Will you please arrange for them to be met at North Goulburn? There's a gap, in the documents then, for 52 years. Agatha's death certificate, 1974. Female, 84, never married. Died, Lidcombe Hospital. Cause of death, chronic brain syndrome. My mother had said she'd gone to Agatha's funeral, but not to the burial. I'd like to know if there's any further trace of Agatha. Her grave is in Sydney's Rookwood Cemetery, and so I set out to find it. So I'm here at Rookwood Cemetery looking for Agatha's grave. I'm not exactly sure where it is. I think this is the right area because the dates of others here around, and I've got a number. So let's see, That's nine five two nine five eight. Let me see. Uh huh. Oh, here she is. It's actually an unmarked grave. All the others in the row have names dates, who someone was in relation to somebody else. Loved father brother loved sister but not Agatha. She's the only one in the line without any inscription. It's like she's still missing.
4: I'm very sad to think my aunt is lying in an unmarked grave, and I would very much like for that situation to be med- be remedied. I, I feel that as a um, human being who was loved, In her lifetime, her place of burial should have some identification.
6: My sister does more research, this time to find out who owns the grave and how to get it marked. She organises an inscription to be done by the stonemasons. Agatha Quinlan, loved daughter of Matthew and Caroline. They're still not Agatha's words, but they are something to say she was here. And though we don't know what her life was like, she's linked now to family, past and future.
4: Looking at it from the point of view of uh, an adult, I just feel sad of what Agatha must have gone through. I mean, I I hope that where she was institutionalised was hopefully not a place of horror, she would have been lacking in um, social contacts at least. But I've got no idea of, you know, how that worked
6: out. I just hoped they had a piano for Agatha to play, that her first class pass Piano forte stayed with her and saw her through. I imagine her playing Bach or, or maybe Satie, who composed Gymnopédie in the same year Agatha was born. People said Sati was eccentric too. He refused to let people into his apartment and after he died, they found he'd amassed this huge collection of umbrellas, like he was prepared for any kind of storm. There are lots of stories told about Sati. What are our stories, the ones we tell in family? I had a great aunt, her name was Agatha and she loved a Scottish man who died in World War I. In 1920, she was admitted to Callum Park, and she stayed in care for the rest of her life. My grandmother often visited her, but didn't tell anyone. Agatha played the piano, and she was seen as eccentric. She's buried in Rookwood Cemetery. Rest in peace, Agatha. Agatha.
2: That story was produced by Ruth Melville. Daniel Simo was the supervising producer. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with Sin and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8 C on Arunda and Waramungu lands. The All The Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager and our social media producer is Timothy Nguyen. Lydia Yosefova is our community coordinator and Madura Prakash is our trainee. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart.